We are heading into round three this weekend. Portimao for the Portuguese Grand Prix. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Tony Vaziri. We're going to have a preview of this race coming up, taking a look at where we stand after two rounds of the World Championship. We'll also get to some news and notes from Formula One, including the arrival of the sprint race qualifying sessions that will be occurring on three Grand Prix this season. And also look at a possibility of an American Formula One driver that Mario Andretti would love to see in a seat as soon as next year. That's all coming up. Please subscribe to the channel if you like what we're doing. Leave us a five-star review as we continue along on the Overtake F1 podcast. All right, so we're heading to Portimao coming up on Sunday. Again, round three. Portimao, a beautiful circuit, a wonderful circuit. I know it had some detractors last season. It wasn't the best race on the calendar. But it's the second time that Portimao has hosted an F1 Grand Prix. Did it last year as part of the rescheduling of 2020 due to COVID-19. Last season's race wasn't exactly thrilling. I mean, Lewis Hamilton won by 25 seconds, but it was historic. He surpassed Michael Schumacher, picking up his 92nd career win, and that sets the record for most career victories in Formula One. The start of the race was interesting. There was some weather. There was light rain in one portion of the track. Uh, Botas taking the lead early. Hamilton was really struggling struggling to get his tire temperatures just right in both the cold and the light rain. At one point, Carlos Sainz driving for McLaren had the lead of the race, but eventually Hamilton got things set and took over. And once he did, he dominated. So from the standpoint of a thrilling Formula One Grand Prix from Portugal, we didn't get that, but I love the track. We'll talk more about that coming up. Max Verstappen finished third that day a year ago, got touched up early with Sergio Perez. Um, but it's this is a track that's got some serious Seriously good elevation changes. This is a fun track. 2.9 miles, 4.7 kilometers, 16 turns. It'll be 66 laps coming up on Sunday. And I like it. As I said, I like Portimao. I think it's tricky. It's got some blind crests. It's got a, a really cool downhill turn one where you got to get the braking point just right. It's got a good combination of both slow corners, fast corners. Drivers seem to like the track last year, said it was really fun to drive. And given that we are now in a battle of, of Hamilton, Verstappen, Red Bull, Mercedes, I'm hoping that this version of the Portuguese Grand Prix is a lot more exciting than last year. Uh, Pirelli will use the same tire range as last season. C1 for the hard, C2 for the mediums, C3 for the softs. So, of course, and, and we're going to be probably doing this every race preview this season. It's going to be about Hamilton and Verstappen. And rightfully so, this is kind of a cool battle we've been waiting for and anticipating for and the first two races of the season have sort of allowed that to sort of percolate and and generate the kind of interest it's generating but if you're looking for some things to look forward to in the Portuguese Grand Prix other than those two titans battling out for the lead and and who's going to be leading in the points at the conclusion of this race here are a couple of other things to to look forward to in the Portuguese Grand Prix one Going back to Imola, George Russell and Valtteri Bottas getting in a crash. It's been two weeks. So naturally, cooler heads are kind of prevailing. Russell has apologized for his outburst at the at the end of that crash where he got in Valtteri's face while he was still in the car and made some conspiratorial comments about Valtteri wouldn't have done that if it was any other driver. And you know, Russell was kind of emotional and, and, and going sort of away from the script, if you will. Um, but he did apologize and things are starting to settling down. Total Wolf has been very public about this. So it's been two weeks and now how, how will both of these drivers react to that? If there's any reaction at all uh, to each other, I don't think Valtteri Botas is going to be in another position of being passed by a Williams. At least if you're Mercedes, you certainly hope not. 
He struggled in that race. There's no doubt. I mean, there was a pit stop. He was late to get slicks. And then he's in the, you know, riding in the ninth position. Williams and Russell is in 10th. He's making the overtake. If you're a total wolf, you never want to see that. You never want to see a Williams passing one of your cars. Um, so naturally, Botas, you would expect, or at least Mercedes, to kind of have a better showing at the Portuguese Grand Prix. And that leads me to point number two, something else to look forward to in this Grand Prix. Look, Botas finished third in Bahrain, and Sergio Perez ran fifth. Now, Perez started from the pit lane in Bahrain after a mechanical issue on the formation lap, but both had pretty good results for the first race out of the gate, but both were terrible in the race at Imola. Botas obviously crashed out, but he wasn't even running good for the entire race. And Perez started P2 and never got a handle on the car, right? Never got a handle on his ride. So a lot of the attention on Hamilton and Verstappen completely justified, but there are two other drivers at play here in terms of, of a team effort, and that's Valtteri Bottas and Sergio Perez, and I'd like to see both of them sort of bounce back after not showing up well at Imola. Especially Perez. I, I really want to see Perez be successful in that Red Bull seat. How about the best of the rest? That's number three on my list of things to watch out for on Sunday. McLaren is getting a great season from Lando Norris. And Danny Ricardo so far as well. He's got two top ten finishes. But don't forget about the Scuderia. Ferrari has had both of their drivers in the top ten at both races this year as well. And this is a long season. And certainly things can change. But those two teams, McLaren and Ferrari, are way ahead for the P3 spot in the Constructors' standings. So I'm looking to see how other teams are going to fare at Portugal. But more importantly, McLaren is been fantastic so far this season. Got a podium with Lando Norris, a fourth at Bahrain, Danny Ricardo, two top 10 finishes. And even though, and I've said this many times on the other podcasts, Ferrari is going to be the watch list team for this season after a terrible 2020. Have they improved the car enough? We're always going to be wondering about that. And there's no exception to that as we head into the Portuguese Grand Prix. The Scuderia have had a good season so far. So naturally, there's some curiosity as to how they'll be playing out here in 2021. What about Aston Martin getting on track? Uh, it's tough to say getting your groove back because there has been no groove to get on so far this season. It's been a really tough two races for this team, formerly known as Racing Point. Sebastian Vettel in particular, he has had a horrible start to the season, needs a good showing on Sunday. Bahrain was a mess, got penalized in qualifying, got penalized in the race. Imola, they had brake troubles at the start of the race. Vettel didn't have everything in place five minutes before the start, so he was penalized. I I thought he was right to question the FIA in delivering that penalty. It should have been earlier. It wasn't. But both Lance Stroll and Vettel need to get on to a good start. And it could, you know, should start on Sunday at the Portuguese Grand Prix. One last thing to look forward to on Sunday, weather. It could be cold. It could be windy. That's looking to be a factor on Sunday. This circuit is hilly, as I mentioned earlier, and it is tricky. A lot of blind crests, a lot of tricky corners, fast corners, slow corners. Uh, it's, it's a great circuit. But if weather is a play here, this could get really interesting like we saw at Imola. There could be some sliding. Teams could be adjusting and teams could be out of this race early on, and it, you never know how that shakes up. So whether, just like we had two weeks ago at Imola, could be a factor at Portimao. All right, so news heading into this weekend. One of the big ones that Formula One released earlier in the week is a new qualifying method that they'll be using at three Grand Prix of this season, and that is to use a sprint race to determine the running order for the Grand Prix. The sprint race will be about 25 laps, no need for a pit stop, just flat-out racing. The top three finishers of the race 
race will earn championship points. The winner getting three, second getting two, and third getting one. And then the finishing order of that sprint race will determine the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix. Now, there still be a traditional qualifying method, the Q1, Q2, Q3 format, but that's going to be run on Friday after practice, and that is going to be used to determine the grid for the sprint race. I will give F1 credit for trying this out. It's only three races this year, and maybe they'll implement it more for next season. However, I'm going to tell you this. I might be a dinosaur in this. I get it. I really like Saturday qualifying. I think there's a level of excitement. I think there is, it's unique uh, from my perspective because I'm used to sort of the NASCAR, IndyCar, ride out a lap, see how that lap stands up with other drivers. I've been to many qualifying races covering them in my career. They're boring. I love Saturday F1 qualifying. I think they do it right. I don't think this is a broken system that needs to be replaced, but I know that's not why they're implementing this. They're not implementing this because qualifying is needs to be adjusted. They're implementing this because they want a complete weekend for race fans and sponsors and promoters and everybody that is involved in the business of Formula One. They would like to see a more exciting full weekend of motorsport. And I, for that reason, I don't blame them for that. So what you're going to get on these weekends where the sprint race is going to be implemented, and again, to reiterate, only three in 2021, we'll see where it goes to in 2022, but just three this year, you're going to have a Friday practice, then you're going to have a qualifying session, then you're going to have a sprint race on Saturday, uh, then you're going to have the race on Sunday, and there's going to all be kind of crammed into these three days where you're going to have an exciting element to the Formula One weekend every single day over the three days. And for that reason, I can't blame them. So this is more than just Formula One going, man, I don't know about qualifying. I don't think people are into it anymore. I, I find qualifying to be thrilling. I mean, when Lance Stroll was on the pole at Turkey last season, you, the elation that he had and his team had for being on pole, that's part of the enjoyment of Saturday. The part of uh, the enjoyment is watching Max Verstappen get pole at Abu Dhabi and just knowing that Red Bull had really put that car together for that race to close out the season. Yes, it can get Hamilton's on the pole, Botas is on the pole, like we saw, but at the same time, you can get some different elements here. And it's not just who's on pole position. Sergio Perez in P2 for Imola last you know, two weeks ago. Thing, thing, good, you know, good showing for uh, Alfatari, a good showing for Williams, a good showing for Ferrari. Those are the elements of qualifying that I enjoy. I don't necessarily want that to be about a 25 lap race and we're still a few steps removed from getting to the grid on Sunday, right? The qualifying that occurs could show us who the strong cars are going to be, but in the end, the 25 laps in the sprint race are going to determine the running order. So I'm not a huge fan of this. I do know and understand the direction that they're going with this. And I'm willing to admit that I might be just a little older and I'm not so interested in changing up the dynamics of the weekend, but I'm willing to give it a try. Now, Ross Braun pointed this out. He said, look, practice on Friday, that's for the racing aficionados, but you don't get a conclusion to that. And I agree with him because I watch Friday practice and I, you know, sometimes I turn it off. Sometimes I go do something else. Sometimes I get distracted with other things. You know, it's watching cars practice. So there's really other than just seeing that and maybe getting some data from my brain for preparation for the weekend, there's nothing really there. The practice runs, it's over, the broadcast is done. 
If it's not over and the broadcast is done, so be it. But now Friday is going to add an element in these three weekends that is going to be somewhat exciting. You're going to get the Q qualifying elements involved on a Friday. Okay, great. And then the sprint race on Saturday. But I can warm up to the idea of having this element into the weekend. And again, only three in 2021, so it's not killing me. But one of the things that I can't seem to wrap my brain around or I'm not ready to accept yet is I don't like the championship points are being awarded in this sprint race. This is just, it's a qualifying of, it's a qualifying exhibition. It's really what it is. There is no championship element to be run here. The teams prepare these cars. They build their strategy for the Grand Prix. And if they're successful and get into the top 10, however they get into the top 10, whether it's attrition during the race or proper strategy that's executed combined with the skill of the driver, that's where championship points are earned. Take George Russell, for example. Russell has gotten some career points when he ran the Mercedes machine at Bahrain last year. But one of the things that people are kind of curious about is when will Russell get a point for Williams? Now, when will he get a point in that car? Well, I know he's not going to get a point in the sprint race because Williams is not going to be running one, two, three in a 25 lap sprint against the other teams. I know that. But Think about Russell finishing 10th, right? Think about a Williams car finishing 10th, or for that matter, Mick Schumacher finishing 10th in a Haas. Think about that one point, how important that one point is, how valuable that is to that particular driver. And they're just giving it away, like at a a 25-lap sprint race to the guy that finishes third in an exhibition. I just think your points have tremendous value to be toying them around in other things. Because if you're going to give them in a sprint race, what's next? Giving them in qualifying? What, what, what's next? Giving them to the fastest time in practice? If you're just going to throw them out there. But again, if I'm a driver and I'm one of the top teams and I'm competing for the world championship, give me any very opportunity to get a point. Give me any opportunity I can to get an extra point. You see it in races all the time. When a team pulls in to grab soft tires, to go for the fastest lap, that's how Lewis Hamilton has the points lead going into the Portuguese Grand Prix because he had a fastest lap in a P2. One other question that I have is, will Formula One bosses admit if this is a mistake? What if it doesn't work out? What if the drivers don't like it? What if the teams don't like it and they voice that concern? Will Formula One admit, all right, you know what? Maybe this didn't work out. Uh, We won't be doing it in the future. Or will, is this so embedded into the idea that it's going to please so many other people in the sport that have their tentacles in the sport that they're just going to say, you know, we're going to keep it. And it's going to be part of this even more so in 2022. We'll see. Uh, Personally, my prediction is it's going to be a success. I think drivers are going to like it. I think teams are going to like it. I think fans will like it. I'm maybe just too old school. I certainly have the capability of warming up to this, but for right now, I'm just kind of on the outside looking in and I'll see whether or not I embrace this. I want to see how it works. It looks like Silverstone is going to get this. Monza is going to get this. And then there'll be a third race on the calendar that will have this as well. Uh, agree, disagree. You can email me at the overtake F one podcast at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at Tony D radio. Would love to hear your thoughts on the sprint weekends that are occurring three times in 2021.
Okay, one other bit of news coming up from this week is Colton Herta won the St. Petersburg Grand Prix in Florida in the IndyCar Series on Sunday. He is the son of IndyCar driver Brian Herta, and the 21-year-old kid from California has already got four career victories in the series. He has won at Circuits of America, and Mario Andretti, of all people, told Motorsports.com that this kid is Formula One quality, and next season with Miami and Texas likely to be on the schedule, Herta could make a big debut in F1. But the question is, for who? American interest in Formula One is increasing, thanks in large part to Drive to Survive. Liberty Media certainly would love to see its interest grow in the States. Two races potentially in the 2022 calendar. We talked last week about Texas. It still needs to be confirmed. It's heading into its final year this year, and exclusivity could be an issue for the renewal of the Texas race. But Miami is on the calendar. The country could have two dates on the calendar. And yet it does not have a driver. So Andretti's point is that if you get an American driver in Formula One, he'll explode and Americans will flock to back him. Now, Herta is not just an IndyCar driver. He raced in England as a teenager. His goal is to ride in Formula One. Andretti loves his raw speed. He's not winning races on pitch strategy. He is really a fast and quick driver. But Andretti's point is well taken here. Right. If you're going to expand the sport in the United States, a driver is going to go a long way to do that. And Colton Herta seems to be the one that he is looking at to say, that's the kid. And you better do it soon because he's 21 and you don't want him too old before he gets an opportunity to do this. But the question I asked earlier is for who? Right. Does it benefit Colton Herta to be out of an Indy car where he's competing week in and week out for victories to ride for a team like Haas? Right. Or, you know, for a team like Williams, does it benefit him? Yes, it's a global stage. Absolutely. And Formula One is the top level of motorsports. But imagine if you're young and you're winning and you're in in every weekend that you go to a racetrack, you're competing. You have to sort of know what you're getting into when you go to the back of the field teams. You're not racing for championships. Obviously, you might be able if circumstances arise in a race, squeeze out a point. But you're going to be riding around a racetrack at the back end of the field, getting lapped in an inferior machine. And that's just going to be your reality week in and week out. Now, if I'm Colton Herta and my goal is to get to Formula One, I'll take any ride that I can get and try to work my way up like young drivers do in the sport, right? George Russell is riding in Williams. Eventually, he's going to take the Mercedes seat. You could do it in that, in that capacity. But there's some super license issues. Landing on a top team is going to be hard for Herta. And would Americans really back an American driver if every week he's riding 17th? If he's riding 18th? I mean, one thing about American fans is we're very playoff oriented. I mean, I'm an American broadcaster trying to raise interest in Formula One in the United States. We're very playoff oriented. We don't necessarily play for points, right? It's one of the reasons NASCAR went into a playoff format. We're sort of, sort of groomed to appreciate our sports in that capacity. If Colton Herta is riding an F1 and there is constant back end results, will they just keep flocking to the sport to watch him finish in the end of the field? That's a big question. So Mario Andretti is absolutely correct. I think the country would totally back an American driver in droves. I think the interest would grow exponentially if you were to tell the country that in this global sport with the 20 best drivers behind the wheel of the very best machines on racetracks on almost all of the continents on the planet, 
yeah, Americans would be into it. But then after a while, they're going to want to know what, what's the payoff for their interest. I'm rooting for Colton Herta. Why? He finishes 15th or lower because his car is not very good. So in that capacity, you can grab interest, but can you sustain it if you put an American behind the wheel of a team that is just on the back end of the field, you know, riding in, riding in the back markers? I don't think so. Now, listen, as I said earlier, I'm an American broadcaster. I host a morning show in the United States. I talk football and basketball and baseball, and I don't get to talk Formula One very often. And I love talking Formula One. It's one of the reasons I started this podcast. So naturally, I would love an American driver to be in the field, but I'm also realistic. I know this is going to be problematic. Again, I can't see which team in 2022 could have an opportunity for him. I'm, I'm thinking maybe Williams, right? I mean, Williams could have one. They want to part ways with Nicholas Latifi. If, if George Russell were to get the, a Mercedes promotion, they might have an opportunity. They're an American-based company now has bought them. I don't know if, if Haas would be interested. I mean, they're, again, American-based team, but with Nikita Mazepin's father involved, and you've got Mick Schumacher, and that's you that's an asset you'd hold on to. I don't see a ride opening up there in 2022. Again, driver movement is always a, is always a possibility, but... If Colton Herta is going to land a seat immediately, then I got to start seeing how that develops now or within the next couple of months. I got to start seeing how the tea leaves are being read across the sport. Again, I would like to see it. I don't know. I'm not holding my breath on this. Uh, One other quick bit of news. Turkey is going to replace Canada on the F1 schedule this year in June. Turkey was one of my favorite races last year. It was raining. Stroll got P1. It was Hamilton driving a fantastic race in the rain to get the checkered flag. Uh, Charles Leclerc in the last lap trying to make a move. was Had a podium. Was making a move to get even further up the podium, but instead finished out of the podium. Was really hard on himself, but cars sliding everywhere. It was one of my favorite races of the year. I love turn eight. I love the circuit. I'm really excited for Turkey. It's an early wake up call for me in Nashville. It was like 4 a.m., but it was worth it. So I'm hoping uh, it will get the same kind of drama in mid-June in Turkey. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Deziri. Thank you so much for listening. Again, subscribe to the channel, leave us a five-star review, and please tell your friends about it because we are trying to build this thing up as best we possibly can. Uh, Next week, we will have a review of the Portuguese Grand Prix. I am traveling this weekend. I'll probably land it on uh, Tuesday of next week, maybe Wednesday of next week. So look for that as we go over the details of what we saw in round number three. If you'd like to email the show, the Overtake F1 podcast at gmail.com. Email.com. You can also hit me up at Twitter at Tony D Radio. That's at Tony D Radio. I'm Tony Deziri. Enjoy the Portuguese Grand Prix. And don't forget, we'll review it next week here on the Overtake F1 podcast. <laughs>